Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, book cheaters. Before we start this week's episode, it's just Dave here dropping in at the start of the episode with my good buddy, Matt Stewart. Hello, Matt. Hey, Dave. Hey, book chooks out there. The book chooks are chooking. <laughs> and they're chooking at the bit for this episode, which features you, me, and Corrie Will, recorded live in Glasgow a few days ago. Um, it's, a, it's a Sherlock Holmes classic. And uh, I'm letting you know that hot off the presses, at the same time of this coming out, Matt and I have done a crossover episode of his podcast, Primates. Yeah, we found an episode of Sherlock. Uh who stars what's the guy's Benedict name? Cumberbatch. I cannot remember that guy's name it's for a, the life of it's me. Quite an impressive name. And Martin Freeman, the series from a few years ago. And uh, they did the Hound of the Baskervilles, or they called it the Hounds of the Baskerville. Great wordplay there. Yeah, that's pretty clever. Bit of fun. Uh, so yeah, after you listen to this one, go check that out on the Primates podcast feed. Contrast and compare <laughs> the different episodes. And if you listen to this hot off the presses itself. Matt and I are currently in Bristol and we're doing a show here tomorrow night, Thursday the 17th of November. And you can also see us this weekend, Sunday afternoon, 20th of November, live in London. That's a book cheat podcast with a special guest, Phil Wang. Going to be a wanging good time. Oh, I can't wait for both of these shows. They're going to be so much fun. So much wanging fun. <laughs> I try to get on board what yeah, you were thanks. doing. It you you made it sound better than I did. Yeah, well, this this episode is a great time in itself. So please enjoy us live in Glasgow with the Hound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicke. Glasgow, how are we feeling? <laughs> An absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming out, but it's not just me here tonight. Could you please put your hands together and welcome to the stage my special guests, Matt Stewart and Curry Will. Hey Dave, thanks yeah. so much for having me. This is blinding. I can't see a thing. What a pleasure to be here. Hey, Corey, as a, you're sort of a local here. What, what do you reckon? Is this sort of what we should be expecting from a Glaswegian crowd? I'm from Dundee. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any, any other Dundees in tonight? <laughs> Dundee? That's where Stuart's uh, Scottish decanter's from or something. The, the, the Scotch. Are you familiar with it? Yes. No, I, I'm so, I don't know. But I've not been in Scotland for a long time. I live in London now. <laughs> Great, thanks for turning the audience against my guest there, Matt. Appreciate that. Uh, thank you both so much for, be- for being on the podcast. Corey, Matt and I met you a couple of weeks ago on your Psy Guys podcast. You did, yes. You called in from Australia and now you're very close to me. Mm. Yeah, some of the You're feeling threatened right now? Very much caught in the middle. So you, you're, a, you're, a, you're a Psy guy. You're a sci- scientist of some sort. 
I make a podcast about science. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Scientist is a stretch. Okay, but you're going to bring that knowledge here tonight. I, I don't even know what book you're doing, so I hope so, yes. Well, actually, this book does require a little bit of logic and reasoning. Matt, you're obviously a very reasonable person. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't understand. You having a go? Yeah. Because in Glasgow, when someone has a go at you, you fuck them up, I believe. <laughs> So, you know, I went in, went in Rome. <laughs> so I'm just saying, try me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a pretty rough city out there today. We went to a place called A Play, A Pie and A Pint. You been to this? <laughs> yeah. It's rough out there, man. Yeah. <laughs> With your daytime theatre shows. <laughs> we were the youngest people in the crowd by about seven decades. <laughs> but it was great, though. It was great fun. Really, really enjoyed it. So what I've been doing is I've decided that on this uh, our little UK tour that uh, I'd like to do uh, a book from each of the places that, that I'm going to. And I've decided that in Glasgow I had to do a story written by a Scottish writer. So I have gone for Scotland's own Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and his novel The Hound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> Thank you for feigning enthusiasm. <laughs> Are either of you familiar with this one? I watched it on Sherlock, and I also watched it in... Wait, no, hold on. I thought I was going to say The Great Mouse Detective, but that was not that story. That was just Sherlock as a mouse. I'm sure I'll pick it up. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure, I'm sure you said mouse. Okay. <laughs> Matt, you familiar with this? I've, I've definitely heard the words hound. <laughs> Great. Hounds of and also... Oh, no, actually. I've, I've heard of the third one I have not heard. Baskerville. You've heard Baskerville now, though. This is Baskerville? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've not been to Glasgow before okay. I don't know Where's Baskerville? Oh, Dave will tell us Yeah, we'll get to that uh, Has anyone read this one? Thank you uh, This one's been suggested by a few people uh, Jamie DeFrancesco from Princeton, New Jersey Are you in? Uh, Sam Markelin from Melbourne No And Josh Shevel from Ringwood in the New Forest, UK Josh Oh, come on. I looked it up. It's only an eight-hour drive away, Josh. Come on. <laughs> so The Hound of the Baskervilles, it's the third of the four crime novels featuring Arthur Conan Doyle's famous character, Sherlock Holmes. It's the scientific reasoning. That's what I was getting at before. Anyway, originally serialised in the Strand magazine from August 1901 to April 1902, it was the character's first appearance since, uh, spoiler alert, Conan Doyle killed him off in the short story The Final Problem. The Hand of the Baskervilles is set before the events of the, the final problem, so it's a bit of a flashback. But um, he was paid an absolute mint, like millions of dollars to write the story and bring his character back. And it was a huge success, Britannica calls it, and I trust Britannica, one of the all-time classic mysteries. Wow. Ooh. And it was so successful and made him so much money that it led Arthur Conan Doyle to revive the character and appear in literally dozens more short stories. <laughs> Did he bring him back to life, or are they all prequels? It, it's, it's zombie Sherlock, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. No, he did, uh, he did a bit of a bring him back to life. It was like, psych, I'm not dead. That's, <laughs> That's where that saying comes yeah. from. <laughs> that is a quote. Uh, in 1999, a poll of, quote, Sherlockians ranked it as the best of the four Sherlock Holmes novels. So, it's only four novels. Yeah, so either way... But you just said there were dozens more, didn't you? But he did short stories as Yeah, that's what I meant as well. Yeah. I understood that. Yeah, great. 
It's been adapted for film and TV over 20 times in many different languages and many different uh, mouses, apparently, too. <laughs> Actors playing Sherlock in the adaptations have included Peter Cushing, Peter Cook, Peter O'Toole. <laughs> so many Peters. And then also, disappointingly, Tom Baker and Australia's own Richard Roxburgh. No shit. So. That's great. Any Roxburgh heads yeah. in? Is that a real person? Yeah, Richard Roxburgh. Are there any Aussies in? Do you know Richard Roxburgh? Good. Okay. He was in. Uh, he was in one of those dragon movies as well, wasn't he? <laughs> Lord of the Rings or one Confirm? of those. <laughs> Are you Australian or not? Should we all know Richard Roxburgh? Richard, the guy from he's Rake. He's the guy from Rake. Yep. Ever any Rake fans? There you go. <laughs> I we take we that basically value. the format of this show is we keep asking a question until someone says woo and then we can move <laughs> on. So just lie. We always start with the opening. Never lie through a woo. Yeah. There's no Honestly, there's no more offensive thing to do than lie through lie a through woo. Lie through a woo, okay. Woo. You motherfucker, <laughs> honestly. Alright, we always start with the opening line to uh, set the scene, and this is how the hand of the Baskervilles all kicks off. It is Mr. Sherlock Holmes, who was usually very late in the mornings, save upon those not-so-infrequent occasions when he was up all night, was seated at the breakfast table. I stood upon the hearth rug and picked up the stick which our visitor had left behind him the night before. Did you write this one, Dave? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) I wish I had that sort of wit that I could use the word. You you wish you wrote this? That's such a big call. What a big call that you wish you wrote one of the classic novels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're off. That's how it all, that's all, how it all begins. So that's I didn't understand what that, what that meant. Can you break that down into uh, um, words I might understand? Right, now I have to summarise the opening sentence. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes is standing uh, or sitting at the breakfast table and then uh, the guy telling the story, which we'll find out is uh, Dr. John Watson is... Standing on a hearth rug. Yeah, that's probably the bit I didn't get. Yeah, what's, okay. a, what's a hearth rug? It's like a hearth, It's not a full rug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Semicircle. Right. And uh, and someone's left behind a walking stick. Gotcha. And now we're off. Okay. Like uh, most of Sherlock Holmes stories, it's narrated by his assistant and flatmate, Doctor John Watson. Can I take a guess at who did it? I think it's the Hound. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do they often put the murderer in the title? Yes. <laughs> yeah, to throw you off the throw scent. Off. It's a red herring. Gotcha. That's not what that means, though, is it? I don't know. You're the book guy. <laughs> yeah. with Dave. What is, it? is that what that means? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, they, well it's, it's a red hound. That's what, that, that's what this is. Uh, what, the, what that opening line refers to, other than the half, half rug, is an unknown visitor dropped by the house the day before. No one was home to meet him, but he did leave behind his walking stick. Which makes you think, did he need the stick? Maybe he crawled home. Yeah, but he left it. He's left it there. Watson has a crack at putting the clues together, examining the stick and working out who he thinks it belongs to. Examining the handle, there's some text written on it, and it says that the stick is a present for Dr. John Mortimer, and he guesses it belongs to a man called Dr. John Mortimer. (laughs) So far, so good. And Which he assumes is an older country doctor. Sherlock congratulates his sidekick for having a go, but tells him that his deductions are mostly wrong, but they have inspired Holmes, and it gives him this incredible backhanded compliment. He says, Watson, you are a conductor of light. Some people without possessing genius have a remarkable power of stimulating it. 
I convince, confess, my dear fellow, that I am very much in your debt. <laughs> so you are fucking wrong. But actually, that makes me feel good about being right. Did, did Sherlock invent negging? Yeah, he's really he's negging Dr. John there. Then Holmes has a go at putting the clues together himself. He predicts that this stick belongs to a young country doctor. That's the difference. A young man. And from tooth marks on the stick, he says, I reckon this Dr. John Mortimer owns a smallish dog. And then there's a knock at the door. Lo and behold, it's Dr. John Mortimer. And Holmes was, of course, right. He's a young doctor with a small dog. (laughs) I may have missed something. This man came to their house Mm -hmm. and left his walking stick. Yes. Neither of them saw him. No. Right, okay. Because otherwise, yeah, that would have been a pretty easy guess. Yeah. You, did Sherlock not let him in and just lie? Yeah, he's like, I had, I had a look at this guy. Yeah. Now I can, look, I can look smug tomorrow. But no, they've missed him and now he's rocked up again. Dr. Mortimer is into phrenology. Ooh. Uh, yes. Uh, he comes in and the first thing he says to Sherlock Holmes is, would you have any objection to my running my finger along your parietal fissure? Which is a great pickup line. <laughs> he says, A cast of your skull, sir, until the original is available, would be an ornament to any anthropological museum. It is not my intention to be fulsome, but I confess that I covet your skull. <laughs> he's putting it all on the table, isn't he? Yeah, he's really putting it out there. And Holmes Anyone like, else rock hard right yeah. now? <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're a skull boy yourself. <laughs> There's a boner joke in there, but I'm not the man to make it. So this skull-obsessed weirdo is here to see Sherlock Holmes because he's got a problem concerning his friend, Sir Charles Baskerville. That's like from the title? From the yes. title, yes. Uh, Wait, so is Baskerville not a place? It's a person. It's a person. Twist. Yeah, there you go. See? <laughs> So is that what they, they're saying? Hounds of Baskerville is just like the guy owns some dogs. <laughs> Look, so is that would, no, so Matt, would your stop? dog be called the Hounds of Warnicky sort of thing? No, that, I'll stop ma- you right there. Okay. You, sir, are a conductor of light. <laughs> <laughs> you're not quite right, but you make me feel better. <laughs> that is why you keep me around, I reckon. You've had a real, you've had a real crack there. No. We're going to meet uh, Baskerville and well, there's a, a family of Baskervilles. And they're here tonight. Everyone, yeah. round of applause. <laughs> so Dr. John's like, I'm here to tell you about Sir Charles Baskerville. And he starts reading from an old manuscript from 1742, which is over 150 years even before this story is set. And it details an old legend of Charles's relative, Hugo Baskerville, and the curse associated with their family. Ooh. The story goes that a relative in the 1640s Hugo Baskerville lived in the family mansion in Devonshire. Any Devonshires? <laughs> who was a disgusting and lecherous old man. <laughs> Sorry, Devonshire. Who became obsessed with a local man's unnamed daughter and then he kidnapped her and locked her in his mansion. But, but at least he puts cream on first. Yeah. <laughs> But she escaped. She escaped. And to recapture her, Hugo, the disgusting old man, made a deal with the devil and released his hounds in pursuit of the young girl. 
So he says, uh, if you can recapture this girl, I can, I'll give my soul to the devil. Soon after, the bodies of both Hugo and the girl were found out on the moor. The girl having died from fear and exhaustion, but Hugo was found with a great big black ghostly looking hound tearing his throat out. Ooh. Ooh. That feels right. Yeah. Um, but did you say she died of fear? Yeah. How do you diagnose that? You picture Scully cutting her open and going, ooh, yeah, that was fear. For <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> it's just the look on their face when you find them, really. Right. It's like, <laughs> and the letter, which is a warning to the rest of the writer's descendants to be careful out there, finishes with, To that providence, my sons, I hereby commend you, and I counsel you by way of caution to forbear from crossing the moor in those dark hours when the powers of evil are exalted. And what is that in English? Uh, basically, be careful out there on the moor. This curse could get you. And then he signs off. This is from Hugo Baskerville to his sons, Roger and John, with instructions that they say nothing thereof to their sister, Elizabeth. So he's like, son, stay away from the moor. Don't tell your sister. She can go out on the moor. Whatever. Is she the middle child? Yeah. They're like, well, throw her under the bus. All right. So Dr. Mortimer, who was reading this uh, letter about the legend of the hound, then tells Holmes and Watson that since the hound throat-biting incident all those centuries ago, a curse has affected the Baskerville descendants. And Mortimer asks Holmes, do you not find it interesting? And Holmes replies, to a collector of fairy tales. Scathing. So he's, he's sassing him back. He's like, whatever, I don't, I don't believe in this. But Mortimer, he isn't done yet. He then reads a more recent local newspaper article about his friend Charles Baskerville, who was recently found dead in mysterious circumstances. I mean, I say mysterious circumstances, but he did seem to have heart trouble and is thought to have had a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) What could have caused it? (laughs) But Mortimer, who, remember, is a doctor, a skull-obsessed weirdo, isn't convinced. He's not convinced. He said his friend's body was found lying at the end of his own driveway with such a grotesque expression that Dr. Mortimer had trouble recognising him. Uh, I said that! I was right! Yeah, Corey, you weren't listening, Dave, but Corey said before that uh, something about expression. uh, Honestly, Dave, you invite a guest on the show, just common courtesy is to listen when they're talking. (laughs) Can you please repeat that? No, you can just rewind when you're editing. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. that's right. I'll hear it later and be like, God damn it, he was right. <laughs> and to add to the uh, suspicious uh, nature, nearby to Charles' body was some footprints. And Holmes asks, a man or a woman's? And Dr. Mortimer, this is a quote, looked strangely at us for an instant and his voice sank almost to a whisper and he answered, Mr. Holmes, they were the footprints of... A non-binary a- person. <laughs> A gigantic hound. (laughs) And also the locals have been seeing a giant glow-in-the-dark dog on the moor. So So, there's a few strange things going on here. I think you you can agree on that. There's also some strange evidence that shows that Charles smoked an entire cigarette which would have taken about 10 minutes nearby on the moor, a place that he usually avoided out of fear because of the curse. And also, the footprints that Charles left behind look like he was tiptoeing before he collapsed. (laughs) Suspicious. 
And Holmes is like, okay, you got my attention. But what can I do? Help take care of a supernatural dog? Why are you here? What do you want from me? The world's greatest detective. It was the tiptoeing that got his attention, not the glue in the dark <laughs> yeah, dog. Yeah, like, whatever. I don't believe in that, but he does believe in tiptoeing. Well, Dr. Mortimer says that Charles's only living descendant, Sir Henry Baskerville, is al- arriving in London from Canada very soon before going up to take over the mansion and is possibly in danger. And the new Baskerville has no idea about any of the rumours or the family curse. Holmes is like, well, if the, this evil does exist, Henry won't be protected in London because evil's everywhere, so it's fine that he moves to Baskerville, but not before meeting with me, Sherlock Holmes. So he wants to meet the new, the new guy. Dr. Mortimer agrees and goes away, and Holmes tells Watson that he needs to do some thinking. He's confused by the case, but he's got a theory. The footprints weren't those of someone tiptoeing, but someone running. They would be quite different, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Running on his tiptoes? Yeah, run, running on tiptoes. Sorry, yes, that's what he means. No, he thinks that they were running for their life before collapsing from a heart attack. He's like, Charles Baskerville must have seen something that terrified him, but what was it? And why was he outside smoking? Who or what was he waiting for? That's part of the mystery. I don't have the answers yet, but I will. I will. Any early theories? I think it's the hound still. You still think it's the hound? I think it's the hound. You've gone all in on hound. Well, it's in the title. It's yeah. in the, the thing where it's glow in the dark. Mm. It was eating a person. Yeah. I feel like it's the hound. Okay, Matt, you... On the hound does have form. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I feel like it's gonna, there's going to be a Scooby-Doo style thing where, you know, like the local groundskeeper's dressed up as a glowing hound. <laughs> had to pull off the, his head at the end. Yep. He would have got away with it too, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to find out. Do you, do you all agree with that? Do you all agree with yeah. that? <laughs> it's got to be unanimous. Yes. Come to a consensus and then we will move on. Just uh, one, one woo will do. <laughs> one. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Mortimer and Sir Henry Baskerville, the inheritor of the largest estate, arrive at Holmes' house the next morning. Henry arrives saying that something strange has happened to him. A letter arrived at his hotel where no one knew he was staying and it says, as you value your life or your reason to keep away from the moor. Great, that doesn't make as much sense as when I was reading it in my head anyway. <laughs> as you value your life or your reason, keep away from the moor. So basically stay away from the moor <sighs> and all the letters were cut out from a newspaper. Very scary. Uh, except uh, the word moor. Oh, well, ha- where was that cut out of? <laughs> that was a magazine. Right. <laughs> it was glossy. <laughs> what, what, what is a moor? It's like a big big paddock or something? I thought it was water. There was, was there oh. water in a moor? It's like an old marshy sort of land. Type right, thing, well, it's that's like, halfway between what we were saying. <laughs> yeah. I think if we work together, we can yeah. be 100% right. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. like a wet paddock. Yeah, water to a paddock, <laughs> you get a moor. Right. And Holmes is like, oh... I think these all came from the same newspaper except more because that's not common in the newspaper. So they just wrote it in pen. This guy's always thinking. He's always thinking. Wait, so he cut out all the words? Yeah. Oh. Whoever's written this letter cut out all the words except more and they've just written that in at the end. <laughs> I thought he was cutting out individual letters and I just couldn't be bothered when he got to... Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. whatever. More. But that's just one thing. The other weird thing he reports, uh, Henry reports, is that just one of his brand new boots has gone missing. Hmm. He could have misplaced it. We don't know, but 
So Mortimer, Dr. Mortimer and Henry leave, and as they do, Holmes notice, notices that someone is following them in a carriage down the street. So Holmes runs after it <laughs> and gets a glimpse at someone in the back with a large black beard. But the mystery man escapes. Now, was he running on tippy toes? Yeah. Because <laughs> if so, I've got a new suspect. Holmes. Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding in plain sight. Unfortunately, he doesn't catch up. and He knows something fishy is going on, but he's trying to put it all together here. Holmes and uh, Watson meet up with Henry Baskerville again, and you're never going to believe it. Another one of his shoes has gone missing. This time it's a black one, so it's, he's missing two shoes from two different pairs. Whoa. I think this guy just has ADHD or something. Yeah. He's misplacing his shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Were they both the same shoe? Like, can he make a new pair? Unfortunately them? not. Both... No, I don't know. <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought you were saying he was a cobbler or something. He is he a cobbler? I mean, that was the one I was asking, but it's a good point. Dave's not answering, which makes me suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> Of I think Dave. Yeah. I think Dave did it. Yeah, I'm yep. sus- yeah, I'm suspicious. Dave was he a cobbler? <laughs> uh, no comment. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's missing one of his uh, black shoes now. So Homer, he asks, "Hey, um, Doctor Mortimer, do you know anyone up there with a black beard?" And it, it turns out that Mister Barrymore, the <laughs> butler at Baskerville, has a big black beard. And what's more, he received money from the dead Baskerville, his old master, when he died. In fact, it turns out a lot of people got money from his will. Because it turns out the inheritance is huge. The new Baskerville Henry stands to inherit, quote, £740,000. Which in today's money is over £100 million. That's a serious motive for murder. That's like a lot of Australian dollars. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I knew it was a lot when yeah. the crowd whistled. Yeah. Well, it was until about four weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's nice they can still laugh about it. Yeah. <laughs> so remember how he said, he's like, oh, you can go to Baskerville, it's fine, go to the manor, evil's everywhere, and you're not, no safer in London, but he says it's too dangerous for Sir Henry to go to his new house, Baskerville Hall, alone. But Holmes can't go with him because he's got another case in London. So he volunteers Watson to go along and watch over him. And Watson's like, what? (laughs) Thanks a lot. All right. (laughs) I'm so busy. I can't do this. Watson, why don't you go and do it? Yeah. Yeah, you've got nothing on. (laughs) Meanwhile, Sherlock himself tracks down the cab that had the black bearded man in the back because he basically wrote down the license plate or the equivalent back in the 1900s and that was following Dr. Mortimer and Henry Baskerville. He tracks down the driver who was hired by someone with a black beard who said that his name was Sherlock Holmes. I told you. I told you. (laughs) So someone was playing a prank on him. Whenever someone has a big beard in these things, is it like is it always end up being a fake beard and yeah, it's really it's probably, a lady or something? It's probably a fake beard. Yes. I never trust a man with a big beard. Yeah. <laughs> neither, so, neither do I. Certainly not a what big do you mean? black beard. You're coming closer to me. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this thing. I've been working on this for about three years at this point. That was, a, that was actually really cruel, Corey. So. <laughs> well, I keep trying to tell him that people can see it. I've, I've been working on this for like 10 years. So yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes me feel better. Thank you. So Watson, volunteered uh, by Sherlock, heads off with Henry Baskerville to his new inherited home and his millions and millions of pounds. 
Part of what we learn about this is uh, from a di- diary entries from Watson, this time of his life. And if things weren't already worrying enough, there's all these soldiers lining the road on the way to Baskerville Manor, and they're told that it's because an inmate has escaped from a local prison. Too not, much is going on here. There's, there's too many threads. To- I'm not following at all. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, you, I'm not even you following. you never do. You never do. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> How many Baskervilles are there that's right my now? Bro- that's I my trouble. Okay, so Hugo Baskerville is the really old one that got eaten by a hound. Still dead. alive. Uh, He's oh, dead. dead. Okay, dead. Yeah. <laughs> he, He's living like inside a hound to this day. <laughs> Then the one that's died recently at the end of the driveway, Tiptoe Man, that's Charles. Mm-hmm. And most recently, the guy from Canada that's come to take over the manor is Henry. I do not recall you mentioning Canada at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good, but that's, he's the one who's lost not one but two shoes. Okay. We can call him Shoeless Henry. <laughs> Does that help? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyone else have any questions at this point? So, and they've just found out that there's a a local criminal on the run. And not just any inmate, but the so-called Notting Hill murderer, a man called Selden. Could have worked a little harder on the name, right? Yeah, Selden. (laughs) Oh, Notting Hill murderer, I mean. Oh, okay. That's a bit basic. Yeah. And if that's not scary enough, the property is surrounded by a bog called Grimpen Mire. Watson's told that a false step yonder means death to a man or beast. Women, Women are, are fine. Ca- <laughs> <laughs> well done, you did it. You did it. You did it. All women beasts. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, yeah, that guy was like, don't bother telling the daughter about the bo- yep, about makes sense fine now. out there. She's fine. So at night, Watson hears a woman crying and a terrifying sound over the moor. Could it be the terrifying demonic hound, he wonders? Watson then, over the next few chapters, meets a bunch of characters in and around the household and sends telegrams to Sherlock Holmes back in London telling him about the, about the people and the events he witnesses. We've got, and I'm going to ask which of these you reckon could be a murderer. We've can, got. I, can I just double check? When is this happening? What kind of... About 1908. Right. That Probably. helps. So, so like about 20 minutes ago, right? <gasps> I don't know what time it is. Is it like <laughs> half past seven? I think the year 1908. Yes. Right. Are you do- oh, you're talking in like... Yeah, I'm talking like time, army. yeah. You're like army language. <laughs> Are you in the army? Do you talk like about time like that, 1908? Sometimes, yeah. Fucking hell. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. You London people are weird, am I right? <laughs> I thought they would hate London people more than they do. They seem pretty chill about yeah, it. Yeah, you're actually. very chilled out there. We'll find out what you hate. We'll find out. <laughs> All right, these are the characters, and one of these people could be a murderer. We've got Mr. and Mrs. Barrymore, <laughs> the butler and his wife. Remember, he was named as having a black beard, which possibly matched the man following them in London, but it soon proved that he was at home in Baskerville that night, so it couldn't be him. <laughs> well, who said that he was in home in Baskerville that night? Yeah, that's what he said. Exactly. Did you hear? Some, that alibi got a big laugh from someone. <laughs> <laughs> a likely story. <laughs> I've heard it all before. At home at Baskerville. Okay. Okay, we get it. So these, this couple, Mr. and Mrs. Barrymore, have been working at Baskerville Manor for many decades... 
But Watson hears Mrs. Barrymore crying at night a few times. And what? <laughs> I know. Oh, it's a bit sad. A bit sad. Or is it a suspicious cry? Watson busts Mr. Barrymore sneaking around outside his room and holding a lamp up to a window and staring out at the moor, maybe signalling to someone or something. Quite suspicious behaviour. Yeah, okay. looking out a window. Yeah. <laughs> what a freak. Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoying the view. Dave, that's actually the less freaky thing. I know you think looking into people's windows is yeah. the normal one, but... <laughs> and signalling to them. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I've got a Worst talk. peeping Tom ever. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> So that's Mr. and Mrs. Barrymore. Then there's Jack Stapleton, a local scientist. Corey, <gasps> one of your pals. First seen with a net chasing butterflies around. Is a is a net his wife or something? <laughs> <laughs> is that a pun? No, it's a question. <laughs> He is described by Watson as being one of the few intellectuals for miles around. Cough that Devonshire. Watson is also there. Yeah. Is he? He's, one of the, he's like one of the few, right? Counting myself, right? <laughs> Present company excluded. There's also Stapleton's sister, who is an attractive young Costa Rican woman named Beryl. <laughs> I think we can all agree a very Costa Rican sounding name Yeah, that was not where I thought yeah. it was going Arthur Conan Doyle has really done his research <laughs> How many Costa Ricans have either of you met? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Well, there's Beryl it's of course yeah. um. Beryl is actually the third most popular Costa Rican name <laughs> No When Beryl first meets Watson It's fine, it's fine, it's fine to say Beryl when she first meets Watson, she mistakes him for Henry Baskerville, the old, the new rich guy, and quietly tells him, hey, go straight back to London instantly. But she quickly goes quiet when her brother, Jack Stapleton, appears. And uh, Wait, hold on. Beryl is Jack Stapleton's sister. Yeah. She's Costa Rican. And Jack Stapleton isn't? Is? <laughs> I uh, had not noticed that until this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Look, when you're writing these things week to week as he was, it's... Uh... <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, more on that later. <laughs> So she goes quiet when Jack appears. Henry Baskerville also seems to be really into Beryl. So the rich guy is really into Beryl. But her brother Jack is not happy about that. It's a bit strange that he doesn't seem keen on his sister matching up with this uh, wealthy man, some people are saying. They're like, why, why, why don't you want them to get together? In fact, one night Sir Henry sneaks out onto the moor to meet up with Beryl for a midnight liaison. And the two are having a nice time and Henry... It seems is about to propose marriage when her brother Jack Stapleton comes <laughs> rushing onto the scene. He's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Dave!" Can <laughs> so they're having a secret rendezvous in a bog, basically. Yeah. 
Did we already find out that a, a moor is just like a, a marsh? Yeah. A, a, just a soggy yeah, and bit place, of grass? He gets down on one knee, just sinks a yeah, few yeah, inches. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a place out there where you can like literally be sucked into it. Okay, well now I'm listening. <laughs> That's, that's sounding a little more more romantic than I realised. <laughs> and so Jack Stapleton, the brother, comes in and, tr- and breaks it up. Oh. Wa- Watson is watching from a distance, like a bit of a perv, and finds it <laughs> all a bit bizarre. He's like, "Why he, is he breaking up?" I like how Watson's watching, and he's going, "Oh, they're being a bit weird." <laughs> <laughs> It can't be that secret if everyone knows that they're doing this, right? Yeah. Like, someone's turned up to break it up. Watson's watching from wherever he is. Why are they meeting there and not somewhere that no one can see them? Well, they thought the bog was pretty discreet. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I booked the bog. Where are these people here? This is supposed to be for hours tonight. The next day, the brother Jack Stapleton apologises for his erratic behaviour and invites Sir Henry and Watson out for dinner to make up for and explain what's going on. He says that he's just really close to his sister Beryl and was surprised that Henry was about to propose and he freaked out about losing her. But that, he's sorry now, he's happy that they get together, but he asks Henry to get to know his sister over the next three months and then they can get engaged. He's like, just wait three months, then you can ask my sister to marry you. He's going to kill him. Yeah. (laughs) Henry's like, sure, that's fine. I will wait three months before I propose. Then we also have, of course, uh, Dr. Mortimer, the skull-obsessed weird guy. Is, it, is phrenology, phrenology at the time, like, has it been disproven yet in 1908? You, as a scientist, <laughs> would you know this? When I did they realise that that was stupid? Ooh, roughly when they realised racism wasn't very popular. Okay, so a lot later Pretty than recently, that. yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, I so. Ser- do we know what the crime is that they're solving yet? Has it happened? Yeah. Remember that man that everyone thinks had a heart attack except the doctor was like, no, he wasn't oh, somehow yeah, murdered. Is that, is that, that's a different one from the one the dog ate. Yeah, that's the long lost relative. And a different okay. one than the one who died of fear. I thought, the, I thought the one that was running on his tiptoes was the one that died of fear. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. I thought that was the girl. No, so the woman died of fear. Yes. And now, that's like 250 years earlier. Yes. But the new guy, Charles... That's a cold case. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No leads. No leads. But the, the guy that was smoking and then tiptoeing and then just collapsed at the end of his driveway, right. they think that he was also shocked into having a heart attack by something. This or someone... Okay, thank you. <laughs> so see, this must be a very old dog, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, how long do they usually live, Dave? Uh, 15 years is a, an old dog. That's pretty good. So like yeah. 250 is a bit of a stretch. Yes. Okay. But what you've got to remember is this is a dog of Satan. <laughs> and they yeah. have a much longer life expectancy. Much longer. Much longer. <laughs> Uh, t- two final characters. There's a mysterious shadowy figure that's been seen oh, hanging around they the mall. Sounds Why are we getting they more characters? Us. Why are there more characters? <laughs> who could they be? And there's also, of course, the murderer Selden on the run from the prison, presumed to be Okay, well, nearby. okay, no. They also sound sus. The <laughs> yeah. murderer. Mm. <laughs> okay, so right now, I've introduced you to all the characters there. Do you have any theories on who or what is the killer? I don't remember any of them. <laughs> okay, I'll recap no, real quick. No, I would <laughs> say, is. knowing these kind of stories, it's not the murderer. That's too obvious. It's not the shadowy figure. Okay, but could it be... It's m- not the dog. Sorry, Curry. Mr. Oh, and, that was fun. Mr. and Mrs. Barrymore, the butler and his wife. 
Jack Stapleton, the scientist, his sister, the Costa Rican Beryl. Ooh, Beryl's in the gun. Uh, yep. or, doc- or Dr. Mortimer himself. Oh, killed himself. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, he's still alive. Ah, for now. Why'd you say Dr. Mortimer himself? Because remember, he's the one that's like, hey, you should investigate this crime, but maybe he's, you know, throwing. Oh, them that would be a wild He's throwing idea. them onto the scent by throwing them off the scent or the other way around. So they weren't even aware of it. Yeah. Everyone yeah. else was like, this is... Honestly, if that is what's happened, he is stupid. That is really dumb. No offence to you, Doctor, if you're listening. <laughs> Although it's unlikely because this was 1908, so... He's, I'm sorry, but he's probably passed on now. <laughs> it's also fictional. Right? <laughs> you're right. You're right. Well, either way... I hope his family is doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very hard to lose the main breadwinner, you know, he's a doctor. Yeah, there are a few phrenologists around, you know. Mm, Leave and less now. <laughs> Dave, please, do go on. Uh, <laughs> you get a round of applause for saying the name of the wrong podcast. <laughs> Dave. Please. Please. Book cheap. Books forever. <laughs> The book so, chook. Hey, how good is it to be in the same room as this book chook? <laughs> Look at him go. Isn't it? Like, has, have any of you not been in the room with him before? Isn't it? I mean, he's strapping, isn't he? It's just... <laughs> it's surprising. You, you, think, you, th- you think of him as being pocket-sized, but you stand next to him. He's an imposing figure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm huge. He's <laughs> got a big black beard. Oh, my God. Hang on. <laughs> Well, speaking of big black beards, Sir Henry and Watson turn their attention to Barrymore the butler, the man that has a big beard. Again, they catch him sending a signal out the window with his lamp, and they see that he is signalling to someone out on the moor who responds with their own light. Sir Henry is not happy and fires Barrymore on the spot and accuses him of plotting against him. Holy shit, that's big. Yeah. I wonder if the light on the moor is that glowing dog, just like like shielding itself and then... uh, (laughs) Opening up, yeah. you know, using itself to Morse code it. Wonder, have I just cracked it wide open? Absolutely. <laughs> but is it also weird that a butler has a beard? Doesn't that seem strange? Oh, suspicious. Yeah. Okay. I can't picture a butler with a beard. Butlers are always clean shaven. That's so true. Yeah. This is a very progressive story. <laughs> very progressive. <laughs> It's actually pretty great that they're representing bearded people um, in the service industry in this story. So, he's been fired on the spot for signalling someone out there. But Mrs Barrymore, his wife, comes in to defend her husband and claims, he's not plotting against you, Sir Henry. The signal is for my brother. Her brother, the convicted murderer, Selden, the escaped convict... Still a crime, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he turned up on their doorstep after his escape, begging for help, and they couldn't refuse, fearing that he'd die out on the moor without their help. The light is a signal to him that food is ready. They've got, a, they've got a meal for him to pick up on the steps. So Sir Henry, he's like, I'm so sorry, I didn't realise 
I didn't realise. He rehires Barrymore as his butler on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> he makes all the decisions on the spot, yeah. doesn't he? <laughs> and for some bizarre reason, he says, just to show there's no hard feelings, here's some of my old clothes you can have. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful gesture. <laughs> this guy only just became rich, right? Yeah. Wow, he is really, he's really yeah. leaning into it. Yeah. That is new money sort yeah. of stuff, isn't it? He's, well, he's like, uh, these rags that I arrived in, I don't need these anymore. I've got two odd boots that you can have. <laughs> hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Then Sir Henry decides to capture the convict out on the moor, saying, by thunder, Watson, I'm going to take out that man. Watson agrees and grabs his revolver and they head off into the moor, but Selden escapes as he has a big head start. But they do hear a big howl. And Sir Henry asks, what's that? And Watson says, the locals say that is the cry of the Hound of the Baskervilles. The title of the book. I love when they do that. I love when they do that. Love when they do that. (laughs) Do they do that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's not the only thing they experience out on the moor. In the distance, in the shadows, they spot the outline of a tall, thin man... They know it's not the convict because he ran in the other direction, but someone else, someone watching them. Oh, this is the shadowy figure for sure. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank goodness it is. It would be very confusing if this wasn't. <laughs> the next day, the butler, Barrymore, asks Sir Henry and Watson to leave the convict brother-in-law alone, and they agree. So they're like, we'll leave Selden alone. Barrymore also confesses that he knows a secret about his old master, the dead Sir Charles Baskerville, that he hasn't told anyone because he wanted to protect his old master. And that is that he saw his master receive a letter from a nearby town called Coombe Tracy. And is this a real place? Coombe Tracy? Anyone from Coombe Tracy in an eye? <laughs> Any Coombers in? I guess that's a no. We gave him yeah. quite a long pause there. We really did. We really did. Not a single woo was Not had. a single no. That's why you didn't move on. No, I, I mean, waited. you made it very clear before. I wait. If there's I a woo, we move on. I and wait they just. For the woo. Any, they coomers, just to... any coomers in tonight? Thank you. One at a time. <laughs> He's like, I saw my master get a, a letter from someone from Coombe Tracy, and after his death, I discovered it burnt the letter in, in the fireplace, but I, I saw that it was written in a woman's handwriting, and the final said. Please, please, as you are a gentleman, burn this letter and be, and be at the gate at 10 o'clock. And then it was signed LL. Dr. Lindsay Warner- Lohan. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be? Could it be? Dr. Mortimer tells Watson, oh, there's a woman with the initials LL that lives at Coombe Tracy. I know her. Her name is Laura Lyons. 
Sorry. That's actually quite embarrassing what Sorry. I said moments ago. Like, sometimes you got to take a pun. She's the daughter of Mr. Franklin, who disowned her after she married an artist without his blessing. Then the artist left her. That artist Ooh. was Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> Hitler lions, right? Matt is really writing his own book over there. It'd be a lot more interesting if Lindsay Lohan and Hitler were in it. Honestly. Honestly. (laughs) So, Lindsay Lohan, a.k.a. Laura Lyons, wrote a letter saying, meet me at the gate at 10 o'clock. And they're like, why is she writing to Sir Charles Baskerville? And who is this man out on the moor? Well, the butler Barrymore says he's also encountered a stranger out there who's living in the prehistoric ruins and that a child from the village brings him food regularly. So they're like, oh, there's someone out there. We better go find out who it is. But before that, Watson goes out to meet Laura Lyons and she admits she knows Charles Baskerville who gave her financial support, the one who'd written a letter to her. She says her friend Jack Stapleton, the butterfly catcher, (laughs) spoke to Charles on her behalf. Okay. Things are starting to come back together here. I'm not getting it. Okay. <laughs> I'm recognising the names. Mm. I don't know who these people are. There's so many names. There's so many names. So Laura Lyons wrote a letter to Charles Baskerville, the man who died and set this whole thing off. And right. he burned it poorly. He burned it, but he didn't burn it good enough, so they find out. And she admits, yeah, I wrote him a letter and said, can you meet me at 10 o'clock out on the moor? But she says that she didn't go along. She never turned up. Oh, oh. and this is where he died. That's why he was out there. He was out there meeting her, but she never turned up. That's why I smoked one cigarette. (laughs) Yeah. Which was a big detail before. Yeah, that's right. And and they thought that proved that he was there the whole time? Like he couldn't have smoked it on the way? It was all a pile of ash in in a pile. (laughs) (laughs) What, are we meant to believe that he was collecting his ash as he walked and then dumped it in a pile, Matt? (laughs) Maybe he dumped it when he died. Yeah. Ah, he has no answer to that, does he? (laughs) You just got (laughs) Corrie. Also, remember how there's uh, someone out there on the moor? Watson goes to investigate. And who? Who does he find? Wait, sorry. Which person? Because there's the shadowy figure. Remember, there's there's the the tall, skinny man. There's the shadowy figure, the tall, skinny man. Watson's like, I better go find out who this is. And you're never going to believe it. It's Sherlock Holmes. <gasps> the shadowy figure himself? Was Sherlock Holmes? Fuck That's right. Oh. He's been watching quietly this whole time. Little peeping Tom. Yes, he is. It's, yeah. He didn't have any pants yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm solving the crime. <laughs> I'm solving it so good. <laughs> I'm edging my way towards a big reveal. <laughs> He is edging his way towards it. He, this, this, is, this is a big reveal. This is a big reveal. He says, look, sorry I didn't tell you what. Watson's actually offended that he didn't tell him that he's been there the whole time. He's like, sorry, I, I didn't... No one could know that the world's greatest detective was here because they wouldn't act naturally around me. Of course they'd act naturally around you because you're a fucking idiot, Watson. <laughs> but not around me. But he says, I've, uh, I've made some observations. These are some... Truth bombs. Laura Lyons, the one that wrote the letter to meet up with Charles Baskerville, never turned up. And Jack Stapleton, the scientist slash butterfly catcher, 
are lovers. And another bombshell, Beryl Stapleton, his Costa Rican sister, is actually his Costa Rican wife. (gasps) Oh! Oh! Oh. They must have felt so stupid when they realised that. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Why do we... How do we... So that they don't have the same accent, probably. <laughs> Didn't even bother changing her name. Yeah. yeah. And it, that also explains why Jack didn't want Henry Baskerville proposing to her for three months. Remember, he's like, don't propose to my sister, because it's actually his wife. Uh, okay. But he has a lover. Yes, he's got a lover as well. Laura Lyons is the lover. If he's going to marry her, of course he's going to love her. (laughs) (laughs) Please edit everything I've said out. He married his (laughs) wife. He married his wife. He doesn't seem to love her. Holmes Holmes has done some digging (laughs) about Stapleton's past. It turns out that Jack Stapleton is a school teacher from up north. (laughs) Not this far north. (laughs) Uh, so not truly north and he's been getting close to Laura Lyons to get to Henry Baskerville sorry (laughs) sorry to Charles Baskerville someone in the audience just said why and I have to say I agree why okay so remember Charles Baskerville had a crush on Laura Lyons because they were going to meet up and he smoked a cigarette waiting for her that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And Jack Stapleton's like, oh, they're close, but if I can get close to her, then I can get close to him. Because so he, the, be- <laughs> the best way to get close to a guy is to get with yeah, the girl that he's but into. But he, he, got, he got her to write a letter saying, oh. meet me here. And then she didn't turn up, but someone else did. Jack Stapleton did. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jack Stapleton did it. I'm putting my hand up. I think he did it. <laughs> Jack Stapleton, apparently, this is Holmes' theory, killed him by frightening him with his large dog. (laughs) Dave, I think we're all wondering, a euphemism? Yeah. No, just a big, big dog. Big dog. Imagine, like a really big dog. And he, he knows that Charles was terrified of the legend of this dog on the moor. And he wagered that it would give him a heart attack because he's got heart troubles. And he was right. The man died from fright. But Holmes isn't quite ready to arrest Stapleton because they need more evidence and they need to set a trap. Surely you'd arrest the dog. It's the dog, did it? Wait, where has this dog been this whole time, actually? He's not been mentioned. (laughs) Yes, no, the dog has been uh, appearing out on the moor at night. So remember, remember we've been hearing hearing sounds on the moor. And it was glowing? And it was glowing. How is it doing that? Because he's a science man! Yes, we'll get there. We'll get to some science. Broke oh, open a glow stick, just rubbed it all over. Me. There we go. <laughs> so they set a trap. Holmes turns up and goes, Oh, I've been here all along. Actually, I'm going now. See you later. <laughs> he tells Sir Henry, the man that he's got to protect, that they'll soon capture the murderer as long as Henry does exactly what he says. Also, this is an important bit. Holmes notices a portrait on the wall and identifies it. Oh, that's Hugo Baskerville, the man that uh, had his throat bitten out hundreds of years ago. Remember the relative. And Sherlock knows what he looks like. He goes, who's that man? And they say, oh, that's Hugo Baskerville. And he's like, oh, that man looks a lot like Jack Stapleton. 
So it turns out that Jack Stapleton is actually a Baskerville all along. And he's set to inherit the estate if he can kill Henry. I genuinely thought you were going to say he was a vampire all along. Yeah. (laughs) No. It's another twist. Well, here's the plan. Stapleton has asked Sir Henry over for dinner. That's Jack Stapleton asking over the man that he hopes to murder. Okay. Meanwhile, Holmes and Watson pretend to be going back to London. They're like, see you later. We're going now. They, made, they did those footsteps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they went, oh, we're getting on the train now. It's getting quieter and quieter. Just like disappearing behind a hill. But Holmes and Watson don't go to London at all. And they tell Sir Henry to tell Stapleton that he plans to uh, walk home from the dinner across the moor. This is when they think Stapleton will strike. <laughs> you know, a beautiful moonlit walk across the moor. The moor that we know now is very visible to everyone. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Holmes goes and speaks to Laura Lyons and tells her that her boyfriend Stapleton is actually married to Beryl, the woman pretending to be his sister. Laura then admits, yes, I wrote the letter asking Sir Charles to meet, meet me that night. I didn't turn up because Jack Stapleton told me not to go. So that was, that was, just, that was all just to get him to go there. It's just a setup. So Henry, who has no idea about any of this plan, innocently goes to dinner with the murderer. Holmes and Watson watch from a couple of hundred metres away, but it's a very... Imagine if he just poisoned him there. (laughs) Like, what an easy opportunity for him to kill him. And they're like, we'll just let this happen. Because we assume it'll happen over on the bog later. It's 1908. They can't tell if someone's been poisoned, right? You're the science guy. (laughs) I say they can't. And what adds to the danger is it's a very foggy night with low visibility and Holmes is worried this could endanger Henry as he walks home because they can't actually see him. (laughs) So it's a bit dodgy and after dinner they hear him leaving on foot across the moor but they can't see him. But they do see a hound appear, enormous, black and appearing to glow in the dark. It terrifies everyone. I'm sorry, how is it black and glowing in the dark? (laughs) (laughs) Because of the science. (laughs) They see the hound is gaining on Sir Henry. Holmes and Watson pull out a gun each and fire at the dog with their pistols. <laughs> at least one shot hits, but the dog doesn't slow down at all. Maybe it really is a devil dog. Holmes and Watson ru- rush over to Sir Henry as the dog pushes him over and goes for his throat, but Holmes empties another five bullets into the hound. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. And it drops dead, so it's not a devil hound. It... It's a dead hound. It's a dead hound. Henry is terrified but unharmed. They examine the large beast, which is a crossbreed between a bloodhound and a mastiff, if you can imagine that. Oh. And they discover, here's the science, the dog is covered in phosphorus, which made it appear to glow in the dark. Does that check out, Sagai? Yeah, it's going to make the dog really sick, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, don't worry. They just shot it. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. We'll have to put this dog out of its misery. Another five shots. Can I just say, it was low visibility, right? And they were just firing rounds off whilst this dog was at the guy's throat. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're not very careful people. So... Henry's fine, but they rush to the house and find Stapleton, the murderer, has fled on foot. But they do find his wife, Beryl, the Costa Rican woman, tied up in a room. She would no longer go along with her husband's evil plans. She was the one that sent the letters to Sir Henry saying, stay away from the moor. She knew her husband was trying to kill him. 
She explained that her husband would probably head for an abandoned mine across the moor where he has a hideout and kept the dog secretly. So that's why no one saw the dog. It's been in a hideout. Uh, the next day, they say it's too dangerous to follow him tonight. We'll follow him tomorrow. They search for him in the daylight and find a couple of signs of someone travelling across the moor but no sign of Stapleton. They presume he got sucked into a bog in the foggy night. Lucky bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the quote is somewhere in the heart of the great Grimpen Mire, down in the foul slime of the huge morat and the huge morass. Is anyone else rock hard? Yeah. <laughs> Which had sucked him in. This cold and cruel hearted man is buried forever, but they never see a body, just saying he could still be out there. In fact, he's here tonight! <laughs> no. About a month later, Holmes and Watson again discussed the case and Holmes has confirmed that Stapleton's real name was Roger Baskerville and he was Sir Charles's nephew who'd moved to Central America where he met Beryl. The whole plan was to murder Sir Charles and then claim the inheritance. Could have just asked to share. Yeah, it was 100 million pounds. I would have tried that first. Yeah. And then Stapleton seduced Laura Lyons to get her to lure Sir Charles out to the moor where Stapleton released the giant dog, causing him to have a massive heart attack. Case closed. And now, with everything explained, Holmes and Watson head out for a celebratory night on the town. The final line is Holmes speaking to Watson. He says, And now, my dear Watson, we have had some weeks of severe work, and for one evening I think we may turn our thoughts into more pleasant channels. Might I trouble you you then to be ready in half an hour, and we can stop at Marcini's for a little dinner on the way. The end. Wow, we did it. We did it. So there there was a lot going on there, but this is one of the most famous mystery novels ever written. Do you have any questions, anything you need me to tie up there? Well, I don't know questions, but I think Corey was right when he said it was the dog, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the dog frightened them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I know these are, like, the best mystery novels ever. But uh, are, the but are they, home, though? Co- like, Corey co- was doing a lot of air quotes there. Yeah. Like. <laughs> a lot of coincidences, you know? Characters changing their names, not lying and stuff. Just... You, yeah. prefer your, you prefer your murderers to tell the truth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, be honest about your crime. <laughs> be honest. Like that murderer that, was, that, that came in and then disappeared and didn't do anything. The one with the light. That's what it, you know how you called something a red herring before. This oh, was an actual one, yeah. Cool, great. But you, um, you're right. I think, but isn't this one of those things where it's it's shit now? Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> they just had nothing else back then. But at the time, it was great, <laughs> right? It's like you know, like a lot of things. Yes, when it's like, cutting edge, it seems awesome. That's right. It's genre inventing at the time, and now other people have had a crack at it for a hundred. And you're years. like, fuck, you know, Arthur Conan hack, more like it. <laughs> Like right now, you're at the top of your game as a comedian. But yeah. With jokes like that. <laughs> but in a hundred years, people will look back and be like, more like Matt Hack. <laughs> Hack Stewart. See, you've already beaten us. <laughs> We've already been superseded. Superseded. But yeah, so yeah, do you, do you have any. Yeah, Security, this, could, yeah. Yeah, Security there's this, this yeah. man in the front row. He's, he's making better jokes. Yeah, Can we right. get rid of him? He's really, he's really threatening us with his, with his comedy. 
We usually we score it out of out of five, as you've heard it here tonight. What do you feel? The hand of the Baskervilles, and we'll also get the audience to score it. Score it out of five. But Corey, any any feedback there? You don't seem that impressed. I'll be honest. I think it's a strong three. There was a dog in it, which I enjoyed. Great, but we did execute the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. That's it why a, it's a three. Yeah, okay. But it was a mercy killing, didn't you say? <laughs> oh, it's in phosphorus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so you think a, str- a strong three? A strong three, yeah, yeah. It, don't kill the dog, it bumps up to four. Yeah. Wow. Make it actually good, you'd get the five. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> So the the last one star there is doing a lot of work. Yeah. I like dogs. Yes, and things being good. Yeah, I, uh, less so. Okay. Mostly the dogs, really. For me, it's like a three and a half. I thought I thought it was really good. I could. It was a vivid picture in my mind the whole time. You know. You said you were confused. I mean, I was. I just. I was. I was. But I mean, I could. I could picture that. I pictured a beautiful setting there. I'd go out into that uh, more. <laughs> I feel so, like you've learned the wrong lesson from yeah, this story. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from the mall. Ah, it just sounds like it's a beautiful place. Let's go down to Devon. <laughs> oh, they hate Devon. They yeah. hate yeah. Devon. You finally found the thing you hate. It's the air Devin. got sucked out of the yeah. room there, which happens in Devon on the mall. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a three, a three and a half. We're going to continue the train. I'm going to give it a four. Wow. Five. I enjoyed Yeah, I did enjoy reading it. I did enjoy reading it. Um... How, did you, how do you guys feel about it? Usually I give you, at Live Ones, uh, I get you to uh, applaud between one and five. So we'll start with round of applause, and this is brutal, if you give it a one. Hmm. Thank you, appreciate that. Dave, could I just point out, for anyone listening, you said one and then made a zero with your hands. <laughs> yeah, I usually, uh, t- minus one, uh, round it down. I'll <laughs> uh, give it a two. <laughs> no, uh, no t- a three. <laughs> okay, three and a half, I'm Matt Stewart. <laughs> no, it's a, okay, if you go with me, a four. Appreciate that. Let's go full marks here. Anyone for a five? <laughs> There's a lot of people who didn't clap, which makes me think oh, yeah. we got to ask them a zero. A zero? Anyone? <laughs> no, no, do it if they didn't kill the dog. Okay, if they didn't kill the dog, anyone would give it five. Yeah, it really put me off a bit too, I'm going to be honest. I didn't want the dog to die. You also didn't ask four and a half. Four and a half. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I asked. Well, that does bring us to the end of Bookcheat. Corey, where can people find you and the Psy Guys podcast? In my house. Or at... (laughs) Okay, and the address is... Not available. At Psy Guys pod everywhere, except for a few places where it's just at Psy Guys. And Dave and I were on an episode recently. Oh, yeah, you were on, a, you were on the most recent episode. So you go, and, go and check that out. It's the one that, that has you two in the thumbnail. Okay. That's right. We were talking about MK Ultra, and it was a great time. I would yeah. have said all this myself if I remembered any of the episodes I've done after I did them. Which it's, it's hard not to take that personally, Corey. Let's <laughs> <laughs> check out Sorry, guys. And Matt, people can hear you and your podcast? Yeah, who knew it with Matt Stewart? It's a re- it's sweeping the nation of Scotland. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, you can find it on podcasts. We're doing a live one in Leeds tomorrow. But if that's anywhere near here, we're driving, so it can't be too fucking yep. far. But um, I also do a podcast with Dave called Do Go On. Thank you. Uh, it's hard to explain, but um, it's basically a show where Dave and I and uh, a friend. Um, <laughs> 
Oh, is that too much? Yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't like it if she was here. She'd be like, Ugh. Yeah, no, you're not a friend. <laughs> a bit too close. Yeah. You know, colleague. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what you say. But I think of her as a friend. It's a one-way. <laughs> Quite parasocial, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really... I've been doing a podcast with them for a while, and I, I really see Jen. It's probably unhealthy, but I see her as a friend. Um, <laughs> the one-way thing. She never talks to me, but I talk to her. That's why she's not here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that does bring us to the end of the episode. Can we please give a big round of applause for Matt and Corey? Thank you so much. Uh, I'll be back uh, soon with another classic, but until then, I always say, and if you please join in with me on the count of three so it sounds supernatural, as we always say here on Book Treat, one, two, three, books forever! I just realised that I forgot to tell you what to say. (laughs) So I'm really glad that most of you, at least there was enough on tape to get books forever, appreciate that. Uh, Thank you so much, goodbye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.